This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, January 15, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. The contraceptive mandate buried in Obamacare effectively pits the law against the religious liberty of Americans. The government's remedy is to provide piecemeal exemptions and otherwise delay dealing with the matter head on. Ilya Shapiro, a senior fellow in constitutional studies at the Cato Institute, says it's a small island in an increasingly collectivized religious landscape. When we talk about uh, religious faith as it applies to constitutional law, in reading uh, what you've written here, it strikes me, uh, and I think it should strike strikes a lot of people, how narrow they've construed this idea of conscience. That's right. And we're talking in the context of Obamacare, of course, because that seems to affect every aspect of public policy and and philosophy these days. Uh, In terms of the so-called contraceptive mandate, that is that the qualifying insurance plans uh, have to pay for all sorts of uh, FDA-approved contraceptives. And I have no problem with these contraceptives, but a lot of people do for religious reasons. And so they're in a bit of a conundrum. Uh, early on, uh, the uh, Department of Health and Human Services exempted religious organizations defined narrowly as worship organizations, churches, purely uh, religious uh, service organizations like that. Um, there was still an outcry because, of course, a lot of churches and other religious groups operate schools and homeless shelters and hospitals and, and things like that. Uh, and those wouldn't be exempt. Uh, so the, the church would have to choose between uh, giving up its service uh, activities or uh, uh, compromising its faith. So uh, earlier uh, this year, or sorry, earlier last year, 2012, uh, a couple of religious colleges, Belmont Abbey and, and Wheaton, um, filed suit uh, against, uh, against Obamacare, against the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, with religious objections. After that, uh, HHS, the government, said, well, we're going to exempt you from this for a year. And also, uh, we, they issued what's called an advance notice of proposed rulemaking, which is kind of like a regulatory IOU. We plan to change this regulation to make your accommodation permanent at some point, but that's not binding. And so the government argued uh, successfully at the district court level that therefore the uh, colleges uh, didn't have standing. They had already, they were exempt for a year, the injury was speculative, and they already said that they're going to fix this. Uh, Luckily, the, the D.C. Circuit, the court on appeal, uh, excited with the colleges and with uh, Cato's amicus brief, actually, saying that, look, uh, they definitely have an injury. They have standing at the time they filed their lawsuit. And OK, government, we'll take you at your word uh, that you're going to make this permanent, that you're going to change the accommodation rule permanently. Uh, but we're going to supervise you. Every 60 days, you have to tell us, tell the court how uh, uh, you're progressing in terms of exempting these organizations. So assuming the government's not in contempt of court, we'll at least have um, uh, permanent exemptions for service organizations or religious groups that do something more than simply worship. It seems to me that there may be a problem here. Is this idea of using a notice of proposed rulemaking, which is a standard part of the regulatory apparatus of the federal government, as a legal matter is can that be construed as a delaying tactic to have to deal with these kinds of issues up front? I think that's exactly what it is. And, and you could see that right from the beginning, any accommodation, even the narrow ones for churches themselves, um, 
that the uh, government was dragged pull, uh, picking and screaming into them. They didn't want to, uh, to give even an inch because they thought that protecting women's health uh, trumps uh, religious belief. To my mind, I, I don't see where the conflict is. If you get rid of the mandate, women would still be able to buy contraceptives and uh, get abortions and whatever uh, other activities and, and processes and products are, uh, are legal. This is about whether the taxpayers have to pay for them. But there's an even broader uh, issue here. Uh, even if the government complies with the court order and allows religious colleges and hospitals, etc., uh, to be exempt from this employer mandate to cover things that they uh, are religiously opposed to, uh, that doesn't apply to for-profit institutions. So, for example, most famously, Hobby Lobby, which is a huge uh, company, I think annual revenues of over uh, $2 billion, uh, the arts and crafts supply chain, uh, owned by a religious couple uh, that objects to contraceptives uh, as well. And yet, as an employer, as a for-profit employer, uh, they would have to cover them. Uh, now, it seems to me that, uh, well, Hobby Lobby and other similarly situated groups, uh, companies, uh, non not nonprofit uh, organizations, donate to charity, do a whole host of things that you know might benefit uh, society in the same way that colleges and hospitals and, and everything else does. Um, but here, you know, that, that brings up the larger point. The government is deciding who is and isn't worthy of exemptions. And what kind of exemptions? Uh, exemptions such that you can practice your religious faith and not have to choose between going about your lawful uh, business activities uh, and, uh, and compromising your faith. Um, and that just shows that the, the, the greater the intrusion of government, in this case Obamacare, in other cases uh, something else, the greater the intrusion in uh, whatever aspect of public policy, uh, be it education, we see debates all the time about creationism versus evolution, uh, be it uh, environmental regulation or anything else. The more government intrudes, the more of these high-profile battles over values that we're going to have. You see that again uh, with the marriage debates, obviously uh, now very uh, current. So, um, you know, there's certain things, you know, we're not anarchists. Clearly, there's room for government regulation in, in lots of areas. But the farther away you go f from government's uh, core competencies, I guess, uh, uh, national defense, public goods, such as they can be defined in the eternal battle uh, between libertarian economists, uh, the more you're going to have these types of disputes between constitutional rights. I mean, I don't think people should have to choose uh, which right they, they want to exercise and how they want to uh, promote liberty. So the ultimate lesson here is that the more that people uh, agree to give to the uh, regulation of the collective, the more that we're uh, all in it together, as Roger Pallon likes, it say, likes to say, uh, the more that our values are going to be increasingly collectivized and people are going to be forced to think or at least to keep their uh, politically incorrect thoughts to themselves. Ilya Shapiro is a senior fellow in constitutional studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.